Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting and be finding out what inspires them. We will be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession. And of course, share some of the funny stories that happen along the way. Today, we have a great uh, chat with uh, Karedwin Eccles. And I'm so, I really hope I've not messed her saying her name up. Uh, But she is um, found on Twitter, at Teacher Glitter. uh, And she is a great inspiration um, who... um, shares a lot of things uh, on Twitter you know it's very it's very rare that when I see um, Car Edwin on the uh, on Twitter that she isn't sharing some great resource or idea uh, and uh, in, in this uh, podcast episode she does that definitely for us um, you can find her on Twitter there and see some of the great ideas that uh, that she has the passions that she has she loves the arts in primary education is passionate about reading um, but also loves um, looking at research informed practice and how she can really hone in the best practices within her own classroom and make sure that her the children that she teaches uh, are given the very best education that they can uh, so I was really um, inspired by a lot of the things that she shared and so enough of me talking let's sit back I hope you're comfortable uh, and, re- and listen to um, the uh, chats that we had with Kerr Edwin Eccles <laughs> Hello and welcome to the podcast, Karedwin Eccles. How are you doing today, Karedwin? I'm really well and I'm enjoying the sunshine. Oh, fantastic. It's been amazing. I'm so pleased to see the, the spring sun, sun is here with us. Thank you. And thank you for joining us today on this sunny day. Thank you for your time. No, no problem at all. I'm quite excited about this. This is the first time I've done a, a podcast before. So, yes, a little bit nervous, but yeah, excited about the questions that you're going to put to me. And hopefully I'll be able to answer them nicely for you. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm sure they'd be fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Okay, the first of our, well, we've got our quick fire questions, first of all, which, as you know, you haven't seen these yet, but they're just to yeah, get. Yeah, I hope they're not going to be too difficult. <laughs> <laughs> they're certainly not that that challenging. They're just to get a bit of a background and a context about you, kind of, you know, your journey so far and what you love about primary education. That's what it's all about, this podcast. So the first question is, Car Edwin, what is your Twitter handle? Oh, that's an easy one. Teacher glitter. glitter. (laughs) I like that you started off quite easy. I'm I'm liking that. (laughs) It's usually something most people know, although, you know, you never know. Some people may not know it, but it's uh, it's, it's certainly a good one to start with. And it's great because then it gets our listeners who aren't connected with you to know how to find you on Twitter, which is great. Um, How many years have you been in primary education? I'm moving into my 16th year now. And I have to say that actually... Uh, the dream hasn't dulled and I actually enjoy it more now than I probably did when I first started which is not the usual response when you've been teaching for a while but I absolutely love it still and I can't see myself doing any other job personally. Oh I absolutely love it maybe when we get into your primary three later if we don't quite touch on it I want to find out how you've managed to keep that imagine that that spark and that love for it alive that's brilliant. Um, What has been your primary journey so far so what in, in that time what roles have you had? Um, so I actually was employed, I for my route into teaching was through the GTP, so I was employed as a unqualified teacher, so it was a bit of a baptism of fire, learning on the job and training on the job, um, and when I finished that I had so much classroom experience though by doing it that route, um, and then I specialised in EYFS, so I began my journey within EYFS and did that for many years, and then moved into Key Stage 1, um, and then gradually started to be put into different year groups so moved into year three and then I'm currently in year five now so I've actually taught 
within all sectors within the primary, not so much year six. I've done bits and pieces there, but I've never done a so- been a solid year six teacher personally. But um, the rest of the year groups I've uh, worked in, but I have a massive passion for early years and key stage one still, and it's massively influenced um, the teacher I am, the kind of teacher I am. And when I moved to year five, I was really like, oh, no, I don't want to be with the older children. They scare me. I'm not going to be able to do all the kind of lovely stuff I do with the little ones. And actually older children want exactly the same as what the younger ones do. So all that experience being with the little ones has made me the key stage two teacher I am. That's brilliant. Fantastic. It's great to get some with a bit of EYFS experience as well. Uh, It's something which I wanted to get a bit more on this podcast. So it's really exciting. Thank you. Um, What is your favourite subject and why? Oh, I love, you know, I get really excited and passionate about all the subjects I teach. And obviously there's ones that I'm more qualified in and deliver better. So I suppose those ones would be the ones that I would say would be my favourite. I absolutely love creative writing. I love reading and books and any lessons that involve that and threading books with which I'm going to talk about a bit later, threading books within as many areas as possible within the curriculum. And of course, I love art and creative learning as well. So those are my favourite things. Excellent. That's fantastic. Thank you. Now, this is always an interesting one. Is there a favourite teacher in your own education that you have had uh, in, growing up and why? Oh, I, I rate so many of my teachers because they've given me right through to even university because they've all given me different experiences. But I suppose one that just stands out is Mrs. Harvey in year three, my year three teacher. I absolutely loved her. I thought she was just engaging, inspiring and passionate. And I suppose my, both my parents are teachers, so they inspire me as well. So they're people that I look at and want to be like. And um, it's nice because my mum's a primary school teacher and my dad's a secondary English school teacher. So the two experiences are things that I draw on. So, yeah, definitely. That's wonderful. I'm sure we might get into that a bit later. Both your parents being teachers, that's brilliant. Uh, And finally, if you had to, or you can pick one that you already do, what after-school club would you run? Ooh, uh, I don't run any currently um, because obviously I've got small children. So Mm -hmm. in terms of impact of my time and my well-being, I can't currently do that. But if I could, I'd probably love to do some kind of nature club or outdoor club. Um, Something like that would be quite interesting and exciting. Ooh, excellent. Just expound on that a little bit more. So what would you do in this nature club? That sounds lovely. Uh, so we do a lot of work within the topics I do about thinking about the environment. And obviously we've got, we had World, World Environment Day the other day. Um, so getting children to reflect on what they can do in society and their community around them. So we do a big project on plastic pollution. So actually the little things that you can do and make changes that have a, a bigger impact on the actual world. So just thinking about things like that, I mean, little things like in the winter making bird feeders for for the birds to ensure just bits and pieces like that um yeah but I think that'd be something that I definitely like and involve my love of the arts mm. obviously would be taking a creative angle with that so getting them to make practical things that they can um use within the community excellent that's a great one love that thank you Okay, that you'll be pleased to hear you, you've passed all the uh, the quick fire. That questions. was quite intense. I could feel my <laughs> little heart go in there, and I was like, "Oh gosh, what's coming up next?" <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's nice, and I'd like to give them. I mean, obviously, people have listened to the podcast; they they do know them by now. But um, you know, I think that it's nice because they, it gives us a bit of a wider picture of you and you know the kind of teacher you are. And so you did brilliant with those. That was fantastic. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll, we'll move now into your your more prepared questions. The, the ones you know about uh, and so the first one of these uh is is one which again you know i love to kind of uh, find out more about and find out how teachers have come to find themselves in this profession uh, what inspired you to become involved in primary education 
actually, this is quite an interesting one for me because I didn't, I, although I've got two parents who are teachers and that, and my grandfather actually was a teacher and an Ofsted inspector as well. So teaching oh. is actually in the family. So at some point in the back of my head, I thought that I would enter into that route and um, become a primary school teacher. But for me, I was, re- like I said in my head, I'm really passionate about the environment and for me, what I wanted to do at university was try and make a big change in the environmental sector. So I did my degree in environmental biology. And so when I finished that, I actually worked in the environmental sector for a couple of years. And um, unfortunately, what I found was I found it was quite disillusioning because actually the things that I wanted to do and make a change on, I wasn't able to. And and I thought I started to think, where can I make an impact? And actually, sometimes adults aren't the ones that you can influence because they become quite stuck in their ways and their beliefs. And actually, children are the ones that you, you know, the future and the ones that you can actually start um, giving them those messages. And I thought, well, do you know what? I can use that love of the environment, that love of um, making a positive change and do that through becoming a primary school teacher. So that was the route I started thinking about. And obviously, at this point, I'd had my son by then as well. So I was starting to think about his education and the things that inspire him and wanting to him wanting what sorry excuse me things that he wanted to do within school and I thought well do you know what those sort those two things becoming a mum and wanting to make a difference um within the environmental sector I can do those as a primary school teacher and obviously um I was a single mum so having holiday arrangement where I could be with my son at home was a huge thing as well mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes, you know, it's something that as teachers we uh, uh, we, we joke about is, oh, yeah, yeah, teachers who go into, into the job for holidays. But actually, I think as a father myself, it's actually a huge bonus. That, it is a yeah, huge bonus, definitely, we, definitely. We obviously, we work, uh, you know, we work a lot during the holidays. But the fact is, is that we can we can move that around our family and we can spend that, that quality time with them when they're off school as well, rather than having our holidays during times when they, may, might, they might be at school. And so yeah, I, think, I think that's a really important point. Um, so obviously you mentioned that your uh, your parents were teachers, your, your grandfather was a teacher and an Ofsted inspector. So it's obviously, yeah, it's obviously something that's quite, uh, you know, big in the family. I, well, do you ever do you have, do you have big conversations when you get together about teaching? Is that something you talk about or is that something you we don't do talk about? We do more so now. We do. And what's interesting is like um, my dad actually took early retirement. So I was a bit younger Um when he retired so I didn't have those kind of conversations but now I'm now I've been teaching for a while it's interesting because I'll talk to him about things that I'm exploring and learning things about him that I never knew I mean it was really interesting we started in school doing mantle of the expert and using that within our curriculum planning and I was really excited so I remember talking to my dad about it and him turning around and went well do you know what I actually wrote a book about this and my master's was on drama and he popped this book off the shelf that he wrote about using Mantle of the Expert within <laughs> secondary, which was mind-blowing because actually you don't often see secondary school teachers, but even more mind-blowing, it was back in the 80s that he did this and, he, and in the book was like this mantle he'd done with Lord of the Flies. So I was like, how is something that is so huge that I didn't know about? So it's interesting, as I've got older, um, your relationship with your parents obviously changes. So those kind of conversations come out. And it, yeah, it's, I find it fascinating, the things we talk about. And um, I was talking about, you know, those choose your own adventure books. I was talking oh. about um, those with him the other day. And he started talking about how he did um, Dungeons and Dragons with his with his um, challenging boys and how he'd use the, those kind of stories and those narratives within his English. And I'm like, you're a fountain of knowledge. I wish I could have like go in a time machine and go in your classroom. Um, 
back when you were doing these things. And the same with my mum. I'll be talking to her about ideas I've used and she'll make suggestions and she'll say, oh, I remember doing this. So, yeah, we do. Now I'm older. Have those exciting conversations. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Like how, you know, things that we that kind of come up today uh, in today's teaching and all, you know, it's a, it's innovative and it's a new thing. Actually, we find that 20, 30, 40 years yeah, ago, exactly. those things are being done and it's kind of been lost and then it's come back again. It's really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, which is great. In terms of your own personal, you know, falling in love with teaching, so you, you mentioned, you know, after 16 years or going into the 16th year that, you know, you are still in love with this, uh, this, this, vocation this profession was there a moment when you obviously you you knew your family were into teaching and then you decided i want to make an impact i'm going to go into primary into teaching um first of all what what made you choose primary school for a start because obviously both your parents had both sides there so why was primary for you that the one that you wanted to go with and secondly was there a moment where you were in your training or before that when you were getting your experience where you felt like yeah this is this is right for me I think um, primary, I think the scope and range of what you get to do, I think, is is one of the factors that um, put me into. And obviously, I wanted to specialise in early years training as well. So that was something that I was passionate about, obviously, because my son was little at the time as well. So I was seeing all the things that he was doing. So that, that for me, did have a, a huge impact. And also, it sounds terrible, but older children at the time scared me. <laughs> <laughs> having an older child now an 18 year old now um if I went into teaching now obviously my decision where I went might very well be different but I think it's very much the stage in my life where I was um the influence I, I had and I, I just love um being able to teach so many lovely things because because obviously I've mentioned I'm passionate about science and um environmental biology but I also love um the arts and creativity and reading and books so being able to tap into all of those things within my day um is what keeps me excited and keeps me um interested and and doing different year groups as well I, th I think it's really healthy I know it scares people when they get put into different year groups because you moved out your comfort zone but actually sometimes being moved out your comfort zone is what keeps that excitement and that passion going because you're able to learn new things explore new topics and tap into things that you've not done before and that for me is really important to stop me from going stale and stagnant is actually being able to explore different things and when you're excited and aren't bored that comes across in your teaching and to your children as well so I think those sorts of things is is really why I still love it now and I think there's so many more opportunities with social media that weren't around when I first trained as well. So you can just look at the, the raft of ideas you can get on teacher Twitter and you can log on there and see inspiration at a click of a button that you can think, wow, I love that idea. I mean, I saw one this morning that Emma Stanley had done. She'd done these beautiful, um, I can't remember what she calls them, um, picture tunnels. So they're sort of, um, booklets that where you pre presented some haiku poems and she did it through like a I, I'm trying to think of a, an example that will make it clear the jolly Christmas postman where at the end he looked through a card and you can see the layers of the tunnel and she'd used that within a, a poetry writing lesson I saw that this morning it was just completely inspirational and social media a click of a button you can get these ideas and go back and keep fresh in your own teaching that's excellent that's fantastic so like you say it, it sounds like you just all kind of that uh, kind of fit into place you know the the creative side of things they're bringing in things from other aspects of the curriculum the younger children you know that was really what was was the great inspiration for you which is great uh, we'll move on to the next question 
which is about obviously working in primary schools we have you know no day is the same every day is different and that's one of the great things about primary education as well and so uh, could you share with us uh, one, one of the funniest stories you've experienced from being in primary education I actually found this really hard because actually I'm trying to pinpoint what makes you laugh on a daily basis and, and trying to home in on a, on a funny story. I, I, I really couldn't give you something that would encapsulate the funniest thing that would happen to me. But I would say that probably me myself becomes the funny thing. And actually, I'm the one doing silly things that are making the children laugh rather than actually children doing things that make me laugh. I mean, you get those kind of banter relationships with your TA where you'll say something that goes over the head of the children, which is probably not in, in a completely appropriate that you and your TA will just have to not make eye contact because you know you're going to explode with laughter um but yeah there was there was something literally last week we were doing on World Earth Day we were doing about the honeybee and I wanted to get them to do these like fingerprint honeycombs to display their work and display their art so there I am with the visualizer modeling the piece of artwork to the children how to um dip the finger in the paint to create a, a suitable tone and texture for the color and I can see the children just looking at me, killing themselves, laughing. I'm like, oh, my art's not that bad, is it? I just said, what's going on, kids? Tell me. This, is, this isn't that rubbish. And then just one little girl put her hand up and went, Miss Eccles, you do realise you're not dipping in the water pot. You're dipping in your cup of tea. And I'd been <laughs> dipping my fingers in my teacup, which was next to the water pot, happily not noticing. And then I just looked at my tea and it had become this delicious colour of red and orange. And I said to children, I won't be drinking that one, children, will I? And it's just those little moments that you share yeah. in class that just make you laugh and make the day enjoyable. You can go into work and feel really low or feel like you've got obviously we've all got issues outside of work that we we hold with us all day long but actually for me one of the things I find is that anything in my own personal life that's stressful as soon as I walk into the classroom and I put on that I miss Eccles and have the children there it just it just takes the takes you out that moment and those little nuggets that bring light and joy with laughter throughout the day is just one of the reasons why I love the job so much oh that's brilliant I I, I think you're completely right with that that you know, we, we go through life is difficult, things happen and, uh, you know, experiences take place in our lives. I've certainly experienced that over the last month or two. But when you go in front of that classroom, you know, it just all melts away and suddenly it it's just does. you and them and this wonderful, um, you know, teaching or this lesson that you've got to share with them. And if you're passionate about it, which hopefully teachers are about what they're teaching, then you just can't wait just to explore that with them. And yeah. I love that. That was a great example of it. And again, when I say the funniest story, I think I should change that question. One of the funniest stories, because there's so many, like you say, that yeah. happen. And there's just little things in the day. And it could be with children or staff members. Uh, but, you know, all these great, funny things that happen. Uh, so that's great. Thanks for sharing that. I remember a parent saying to me a few years ago, I don't know whether it's a compliment or not. I'm taking it as a compliment. I remember a parent saying to me, oh, you're known as Mr. the Mr. Poppy, you know, from the Nativity. Yeah. She said, we never know what you're going to be doing, what wild... And it's like the children get used to, like, now, don't bat an eyelid if they see Miss Eccles walking around dressed as Medusa or dressed in some strange <laughs> outfit or or just doing something a bit weird outside with instruments. Oh, that's just Miss Eccles. So I think the, <laughs> the Mr. Poppy is more my... Uh, offbeat wild side rather than anything else but yes that that, that did make me laugh when that was shared with me <laughs> That's i think that I, I would definitely take that as a compliment absolutely <laughs> oh great okay uh, let's move on then uh we're going to talk now about your primary three and so thanks for sending those to me beforehand so i can have a little think about those and uh think about you know that discussion that we're going to have around this 
but uh, for, for listeners who obviously may not be so aware, uh, the primary three is basically the three things, the three primary things about primary education that's, that you are most passionate about, that you think are really important uh, to, to get into the classroom. And it can be philosophies or resources or pieces of advice. It could be absolutely anything. And so, Karedrin, your first um, or your primary three is about weaving picture books into lessons to focus on well-being and PSHE and child's and children's mental health. So why for you is that such an important issue or thing about primary education right now that you're using? Yeah, books in general for me is something that is fundamental to all aspects of a child's education. I think I could talk for hours about it, but I will focus on this one one feature. And I think it was actually lockdown that um, made this come out and thinking about those experiences children might have had at home and might not have had the best of times and, and how being locked away in a computer screen doing their lessons might have affected not seeing friends and I know as an adult not being able to see my mum for example was just horrendous and actually when I welcomed the children back in September one of the things I really wanted to address was actually having a standalone lesson and dedicating a whole afternoon focusing on mindfulness and the conversations and the reflection and actually picture books are the most powerful thing that we can use to do that so those big issues that are perhaps difficult to talk about you can have them using a picture book which presents it in a way that children can relate to and it doesn't make it seem scary so for me that was one of the things that I really wanted to do and I've uploaded because I want I wanted the teachers to be able to use that it's not something that I want just to have for me so I've uploaded all my well-being plans and actually what's really lovely is I get messages from people saying I've used your plan using the Barnabas Project, for example, and the amount of teachers who've sent me work that they've done and said the impact it's had on children thinking about friendship, um, freedom, those big messages um, within children. It's just so powerful and it's, it's really lovely to see that other children, other teachers are embracing that and using the content I'm sharing because that's ultimately why I have a Twitter handle and a Twitter account is because when I've done something that I think is important, I'll share that so other people can perhaps either use it themselves or adapt it and change it or um, use it within their own setting so yeah that's fantastic and i think that i think that's a really important message straight away at the end there is that you know i i, I do things in the classroom but i just then think right i've done that let's move on because i'm such a busy person but if i can just take you know a couple of minutes just to upload it somewhere you know someone can find that really useful and, and then adapt that and, and use that and so a lot of the ideas that i use in the classroom ultimately end up being cherry picked from other places because there's yeah, just so right. many great uh, professionals out there so first of all thank you for sharing those online because i think that um obviously as you say it, it's really helped and it will continue to help a lot of people uh let's talk about these picture books then and, and the kind of the things you've talked about so you, you mentioned one there the barnabas project you want to talk a little bit about that one and kind of yeah that's, a, that's a really beautiful picture book um for and it has so many different themes threading through it so basically it's by the fan brothers who are a trio of brothers from america who do absolutely amazing picture books and they all have a, a deep message behind them and this one basically is it's so cute it's so cute it's got this little creature called a failed project called barnabas who's a mixture of a mouse and an elephant and these creatures are created in an under store underfloor lab and the ones that are perfect go up above ground and become perfect pets to go in a pet shop the ones that don't quite make the grade they end up in bell jars as failed experiments in a lab and it basically explores um 
the message of actually what is failure what what makes you become feel like a failure so immediately you can have those conversations with children I always frame it as me so I put myself in the shoes first I would never say to a child what does what does the word failure mean have you felt like a failure so I will look at myself and and so when you've got Barnabas looking in a mirror thinking his his eyes aren't quite big enough and his fur's not quite big enough I'll frame that into sometimes I look in the mirror and do you know what I've got this frown on my forehead but I don't quite like that frown it sometimes it, I look at that frown and think oh I wish that wasn't there and then it's getting them to think about actually that frowns on my head because I laugh and because I'm expressive with my talking. So those, so getting them to see that things that they're not happy with, there might be things that um, actually are there for a really good reason. Why have you got wrinkles around your eyes? Because I laugh a lot. I enjoy life. Those wrinkles are part of me. So I would frame it as me first. And then once you've done that, it gives them the confidence to have those kind of discussions. Um, and within the book, there's so many different ones. So you have the idea of freedom and we've done... Um, work on um, what freedom means within our um, uh, work on the civil rights movement and knowing that actually people did not have the freedoms that um, they're around now. So actually you can take a really big, deep concept that we looked at, which is really quite challenging for children to understand, but related within a picture book with a little elephant mouse who wants to escape from a bell jar, it becomes more immediately understandable to the children. Um, You've got things of friendship, of teamwork within that picture book. So what is a lovely story? Ultimately, it's a beautiful story anyway. There's so many different things you can unpick with it. So, um, yeah, with the with the with the work, I'd have mood music linked to it. So, for example, when we were thinking about the theme of freedom, I had the great escape playing. <laughs> so having those kind of connections. So, again, I said to the children, how does that music make you feel? I feel really happy. Did you feel happy when you came in this morning? Mm, no. Okay, so now you've got that bit of music. Your mood's lifted. So actually, the mindfulness lessons pulls in so many different things, um, and that's all based on a picture book. That's fantastic. And it sounds like it, like you say, it links to so many curriculum areas. As a teacher that are worried about covering that curriculum, this is how you can do it, is you, you link it all into this central, this, this big, you know, difficult at times concepts or things which children are just you know, struggling to understand from outside the walls of their own classroom and Definitely. bring it right in there with that story, which is fantastic. Is there any others that, uh, you know, you mentioned lockdown was, was really something that sparked this kind of journey for you into looking at picture books and adapting them and using them to, to explore uh, well-being and, and, and supporting them in those ways? Is there any others that you can share with us that you've used? Uh, yeah, off the top, I haven't wrote them down, so I'm just going to have to fly by the seat of my pants, as it were, with these. So um, I think emotions is is something that children don't always recognise, that it's actually OK to be sad, mm. it's OK to be angry. So um, I'm a big believer that a picture book can be used with any age of a child, and it's how you as the teacher uh, differentiate the questioning that you use with that. So, for example... Um, there's a wonderful picture called the Colour Monster, which is usually used within EYFS and within Key Stage 1 classrooms. And actually, that was one of the most powerful books I had that I used last year because I had children understanding that actually these different colours matching our emotions and actually it's OK to be like that. And um, I had a, a child talk about how they felt red, they felt angry and actually saying to them, that's OK, and unpicking why it's okay and having the conversations that yes it's okay to feel angry it's okay to feel sad but 
what ultimately can we do to address those things? Mm. So um, I got the children with that. We had lots of lovely conversations around it. And one of the things we did, we made our own little felt colour monsters. So they had that to take home and they could have that under their pillow. So when they were thinking about emotions and feeling sad, they could take out their colour monster, sit and stroke it, put it back under the pillow. So just something tangible they can touch to, to remind them of that lesson they had and the conversations we had. That's fantastic. And I think I have seen that, but we've used it in our school with with, with year fives. Uh, and like you say, you know, it, it's how you adapt the, the questioning and the activities around that story, mm-hmm. which, which really support that. Uh, we were using a book uh, called The Lost Happy Endings. And it's one that we were, it's a picture book that we were kind of shown as a school. And we said, oh, well, we'll have a look at that. We'll try and use it. Uh, and towards the end of lockdown, uh, we thought, oh, we'll try and use this because we were flagging a bit with the whole uh, remote learning and all that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So we thought, right, let's just use this picture book. We'll, we'll send, you know, images of the pictures and the story. It's a much easier read for them. And as we got through, and as we started to plan out this story, we, we, we realized, well, in this story, basically, there's a character who has this, um, you know, this bag of happy endings that they, they throw into the night sky every night. But then oh, this, this witch comes along and basically steals the the, uh, the lost happy endings, and then you know in and then it talks about how in the stories that are read to the children, you know the three little pigs get eaten by the wolf, and you know uh, Snow White doesn't wake up from her sleep, uh, and all these kind of things. Uh, and basically, I'm not going to spoil the story, <laughs> but <you> know, <laughs> there's there's obviously a resolution at the end of it. And we talked about you know uh, as as we were planning it actually you know there's this is a real big message behind this mm. and about you know we're coming towards the end of a lockdown now and there's been so many hopes and things that and, and just experiences that we've lost out on over this lockdown not to mention the previous lockdown in, in the uh, in the spring 2020 as well yeah. and so you know what are those lost happy endings for you what are those things that if you could have this magical item which she gets in the story to to rewrite these happy endings what would you write about and it the, the powerful things they talked about was amazing so absolutely picture books and using those stories and i think sometimes we just completely miss the big messages if, if i'm honest like we didn't even realize it till we started diving into that story that there's a huge message we could hit yeah. on there yeah and i think the more you look at you more so the more you read a picture book the more different things you can take from it each time as well so it's it's worth actually because I'm a big believer that you should always really read your books before you whatever book it is before you um, bring it into the classroom and actually by rereading you can pick up so many different things that you'd not sort of come with a fresh head the next day looking at it and one of the lovely things is children see connections that you haven't done so another picture book I um this was one that I started when they came out from back out of lockdown came back in September it's a a wonderful book called Bloom um, and it talks about how you're responsible for your own flower blooming so there's a character in there um, who's really quite mean he's he wants to keep this flower to himself and he doesn't understand um, why it's not blooming and he, he talks to it in a horrible way and shouts it and keeps it locked away but actually the messages are when you say kind things and nurture things and share things that's when you bloom so it was getting the children to think about what makes them bloom and what makes them wilt and this is on one of the plans that I've shared that I've seen other people use and they literally drew a flower um, that was blooming and a flower that was wilting and thought about the things that made them and we actually they linked that to lockdown a lot of things that made them wilt were the things like not able to see their friends not able to see their families and um having those conversations but we read another one oh off the top of my head i can't think oh yes i've got it mr rose meets mr winter garden i think forgive me if that's not quite right and there's a character in that 
that is very similar in fact that he's really mean and unkind and and as I was reading it to the children they went this is just like Bloom so actually the more picture books you share the more connections they make with other stories and link other things together and what's really lovely is now gosh I probably have read oh I can't even count how many picture books I've read for the children since we've been back in September and they've got this vast bank of ideas and knowledge and links and to make within their brain with the books. And it really is powerful that from embedding it from the moment go through to where we are now and actually over lockdown, they'd had lockdown too. They'd had that kind of links and that security. So I was doing the mindfulness work. I mean, the Barnes project ended up some of that being done at home, mm. but they valued and, and saw the power of doing that work. So I would find that some of the most work that I got sent through was my mindfulness lessons from the children at home because they really rated it because it was something that we'd dedicated that time to. And actually by saying, I value this, I'm actually going to dedicate a whole afternoon to this. So it's not just a tap on at the end of the day, I'm going to read a story and perhaps we'll have five minutes chatting about it. It's a whole afternoon dedicated to it. And yeah, that, that, that for me has been really powerful. Fantastic. Very quickly before we move on to our second of your primary three, then you mentioned that you've uploaded these resources. Where can teachers uh, and, and well, any any staff staff members in primary education find those resources? They're all free on my TESS account and off the top of my head. I can't think what that is, but I'm sure it's Kerry Eck. I'm sure it's my name, Kerry Eccles. If you Googled that on TESS, I'm sure they'd pop up. Right. But, um, yeah, if you type my name, Teacher Glitter, into Twitter and then write mindfulness, all the, I've shared the links on there, so they'll all pop up in there as well. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Yeah, because I think, you know, I, I'm going to have a look uh, and see what we can do with that, because cer certainly as we are now out of lockdown, you know, there's still, you know, a, a long way to go. And obviously there's a lot of things to catch up on. I think that 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 well-being and that mindfulness is still an integral part of our curriculum okay. going forward. So that's fantastic. Well, let's move on to your second of the primary three. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Uh, your second of the primary three is retrieval practice and understanding of working memory to support retention of knowledge. So why for you is that an important part of primary education? So this was something that um, I'd seen secondary school teachers. That's the power for Twitter for me is I um, curate my Twitter feed. So I'm not just in a vacuum. Mm. So I like to follow a vast range of teachers, secondary school practitioners, early years teachers, authors. So it, it just expands my knowledge. And I started to see, uh, go to conferences. And what I was finding at these conferences, that the ideas these secondary teachers were sharing about what they do around working memory and retrieval practice actually is something that could be easily brought into primary. And the, the impact that it was having was so powerful. And I started to think about, oh, I've not seen this within primary sectors before so this was something I started a journey on about a year and a half two years ago and, and started wanting to put into the primary sector to see what impact it would have and I'm now well established with with using it and it's just it's just so powerful with allowing children you, we spend so long carefully planning these wonderful lessons these wonderful curriculum for our children and a year later, how much of that is actually remembered by the children and how much of that wonderful learning that we dedicate such a, a vast amount of our time into doing, how much do they remember? So for me, it was a really, really powerful way of harnessing what I teach within the classroom 
and allowing that knowledge that I've delivered to be retained and then be able to be used later on. So, for example, when we've done that work on civil rights movement and, and things, being able to take that and think about the impact segregation had on people linked year six they've retained that knowledge and then then they're going to start looking at the holocaust and and how those kind of things within um the two link together so being able to draw back on their prior knowledge when i'm doing space topic the stuff they've done in year, year two on space i don't have to recover it because it's things that they've taught and they've had throughout school that they've revisited so now I can move straight into instead of talking about space in general I can talk about the space race within the context of Katherine Johnson and what she did to ensure the space race happened so building those links between learning blocks of knowledge so yeah it's 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 fundamental I think um, to ensure children achieve and get the best learning journey within school they can do. When you sent me your primary three, and this is one of them, I, I, I was I jumped for joy. I was like, yes, I wanted to talk about this because as a maths lead in my school, and I, I'm very aware of the discussion around working memory, retrieval practice. And obviously there, there's this big discussion about, you know, what type of curriculum is best in maths. You've kind of got your, your block curriculum where you go through the, the blocks right through to the end of the year or spiral curriculum. Do you come back to those things? Uh, and th there's obviously merits uh, and, dis and disadvantages to both of those. But I think I, I personally do like the way that, you know, we, we have structured um, the maths, you know, in our school following a similar pattern to the White Rose, where there's blocks through the year. But one mm -hmm. major downside to that is, like you say, they don't come back to that till the next year. And so yeah. this this idea of retrieval practice and developing work so that the working memory can tap into that more more regularly is such an important thing. So um, I can't wait to it's, pick your brains a little bit. Yeah, on. it's really powerful. And, and with maths, for example, I know that lockdown, they've missed chunks of things. So, um, for example, something like time, mm. that's not been that's not taught in year five in our, in our in our scheme that we use. We use power maths. Um, so children, if they've not covered units of time within year three and four, that, that that's it. So they need to keep and time is one of those concepts which is ridiculous hard, and I find it hard teaching as a teacher, quite frankly. So being able to have that within your retrieval, this is learning that you did um, earlier in the year. Um, we're going to revisit now. And for example, I did, um, did I was doing my, um, we call it fl flashback four in math. So basically we have four questions, something you did last year or historically, something that you did last unit of work, something that you did last week. And obviously you can't do that if it's a, a Monday, but something you did last lesson. So I, I focus on those four elements. And I said to the children, right, I'm going to put in some work on digital time um, because I know that it's something we're struggling with because I, I did a whole block on it anyway because they've missed it out so I did and I said we're gonna we're gonna go on this over the next few weeks and it was really interesting the children th th there was only about three in the class who could actually ac accurately answer that question that I put in about that so if we're not revisiting that yeah you've got a whole you're gonna have a child who might technically go to secondary school who can't accurately tell you anything about time. So it's it's so vital that we do keep revisiting those things and things that we think they're secure in, make sure that we keep tapping back and, um, and looking at those. And what I found really useful as well is my children help inform what I put into my mass retrieval now. So I don't actually, I know some, I've seen some people have pre-made resources. That you, I think White Rose actually do the flashback for where you can buy the pre-made stuff. Um, I personally find that I like to do it 
with the children and and be informed by what I'm seeing and what's going on rather than having because things that might be on a pre-made resource are things that my children might not necessarily necessarily struggle with so for me it's really great I'll say to the children look at look at what you got in your your four answers which ones are we struggling let's have and they're really honest now they don't see they don't, they're not afraid to put their hand up if they've got something wrong because I think if you build it as this is for you and it's going to help you they don't mind being honest they're not going to do that whole green traffic like everything because they think that's what you want to hear so they're really open actually I found this really hard can you keep putting that in the retrieval cycle for me Miss Eccles so I'm getting them to tell me what to put in so for example there was one the other day we were doing modal verbs and I thought oh you know what they they're really good at this I'm 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 gonna remove that one and, and move and the children actually said to me I'm finding that really hard still. Can we keep that in within our our spag retrieval within our literacy lessons? So having those conversations is really important and letting the children understand why they're doing it because ultimately it's to help them and their brain and their knowledge and and their their learning journey and once they've got it makes the cognitive overload of delivering a literacy lesson when they they're able to completely pull that knowledge into their working memory to use within a lesson it just it makes everything so much easier for them within within the session yeah absolutely i think one thing i've spotted with across the school really with our maths is that you know the the work we've done in our class um you know in our reasoning and things like that when we've had our assessment recently that's gone really well that's improved but the arithmetic side of things where they've maybe not been doing those daily things that we regularly would have done that fluency that's really dropped over the over the lockdown and that i I don't think that would be you know an uncommon picture across across you know education where when we've missed out on that ability to do that because the children haven't been in school Uh, and so i think you know that's a really important thing and i like the the point you made about creating your own because i think like you say white rose they they do they create a flashback for i'm sure whatever scheme or things that, that you're on you know there will be other ones out there but like you say you know your, t- your children best that's not to say that obviously you need to sit there with a blank piece of paper and say right i've got to create four questions there's obviously so many resources out there that you can pick these questions from different places i use um one of them i use is diagnostic questions from craig barton who's got hundreds of maths questions that you can pull out multiple choice and go right put that on a on a, on a page there's snip and sketch on, on my windows laptop is a really well used resource that i use cut those questions out put them on and then you can tailor that to your class like you say in terms of so we've, we've talked quite a bit there about maths and things like that are there any other practices that you use in the classroom for retrieval practice um, yeah I, I i mean when i first started it i think one of the things that was an easy routine was the low state testing because yeah. they're really easy to generate your four questions and you can do that for most subjects um so that was my way in i think because it was quite difficult to to look at how to change what secondary school teachers do to a primary context when um for example you you might teach art once a week or might teach it in a block or science you might not be so you're not going to be having that same kind of level of revisiting so it's for me there was lots of things I needed to think about so when I first started it, it was I thought right I'm going to start with maths because I can do those four questions and I can see how I can use it 
And then as I got more confident with it, I started adding in other subjects. And I did start with the, the low state quiz questions. So for in our history, for example, last year you did Romans. Can you tell me about battle formation? Um, last topic in um, science, we learned about Catherine Johnson. Why was she considered inspirational? Why are we learning about her? Um, last year, so that sort of thing. So I was able to generate those sorts of things. But I think what's really important about younger children and how younger children work, they like variety. Variety is the key to spice. And if you're constantly doing the same ways of delivering things, it, it, it loses its shine. It doesn't have the same kind of impact. And although they're aware of why they're doing it, 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 it's like with like I was saying earlier about becoming stale you change and you adapt and you do different things to keep something fresh so um with vocab retrieval for example um I will deliver the um the words I want them to learn and I'll often use like a, I'll use an image with it so one really great retrieval exercise is you have pictures of images you have the word and you have them on the table and you say to children right match the word with an image Nice. So they're using vocab retrieval there, but they're doing it through picture formation. Um, so I'm trying to think of other ones. Reading retrieval. Um, you can have an event that you've had in a book, for example, and you put it in the middle and then you say to the children in groups, right, what were the things that led up to this key event that happened here? And what was the outcome of that? So they're retrieving their knowledge of what you've taught them within a reading session. Um, within art the other day, Art was one I really struggled with, and it's something that um, if we'd have been in school properly, um, I would. that was my next challenge, was to really look at how I use retrieval practice within art. And um, But I've started doing that now, and um, one of the things I did was, with, there's two strands of art. Obviously, you've got um, when you're looking at uh, a particular artist, for example, and you're looking at factual knowledge, that lends itself to those kind of questions where you can say, for example, tell me three things that William Morris did. Yeah. But then you've got the skill side of um, sketching, watercolour use. So I, I got the children to show me how to, three different ways you could sketch. And it sounds like it would take ages. It didn't. It's something that really quickly, they just were in a three boxes drawing three ways they could show sketching. How did you, if you're using watercolours, for example, how can you um, make the paint thicker? How, what can you do? So getting them to show you. Um, draw. We did um, back in um, August, we looked at the artist Picasso, can you show me in your art now draw me one of the eyes how would you draw an eye so actually there's there's ways that you can keep things completely fresh you i use um graphic organizers so when we've got the information so for example a victorian's topic i'll have the things they want to do on a graphic and then you can have images to help them so the first time they experience it you've got the words there the next time in retrieval you take the words out but they've got the images so the children can tell you for example um it was we did uh things that happen in a victorian school so i'd have little images of things that they'd see in a victorian school so the first time in retrieval they'd have that image to um fuel their brains to remember and they were able to write little things by the time you get the end of the unit you have the graphics and organizer with nothing on apart from the the base things and then they're they're building it up so little things like that i think are really fabulous so variety is the key to spice most definitely with retrieval having drama drama for example is a great one so when we're doing vocab retrieval i'll do an action what word am i doing an action for what synonyms can you also have for that um yeah there's so many different things songs songs are a great one for little ones for retrieval practice yeah that, that, there was a fantastic I mean I've just been scribbling you're probably going to be really rude because I'm not looking at the screen at all I'm scribbling down these ideas because these are brilliant and I think like you say it's making it 
making something which uh, there's a lot of research behind this retrieval practice you know there's a clear there's clear research that shows that children forget things over time if they are not returned to uh, and, and you know it, it's like why would you need research to know that I mean it's kind of obvious but when it's there black and white and that research is there and you see that timeline of when things start being forgotten I mean we yeah. all see it when you when you do an end of term task and you've, you're doing a maths test or you know whatever and you've taught the, the topic of fractions at the start of the term and now we're at the end of the term and they just cannot remember anything you're thinking yeah. well I can't remember well you, yeah. we've, we've not revisited it yeah. um, it's really important though actually I mean for me, I actually, I found it fascinating learning the science, but I mean, I'm not a cognitive scientist, but I found it absolutely fascinating learning the science behind how much information your brain can actually hold. And with younger children, I mean, it's thought to be four, four blocks, storage blocks of information. And once you we've got that, nothing's going in their brain. But with younger children, it's thought to be even smaller than that. So it really makes you as a flip side of retrieval think about your um the cognitive overload and how you are delivering that knowledge in the first place because if you don't deliver that knowledge in a way that's usefully using those memory blocks in the brain and ensuring that things aren't firing out then they're not going to be able to retrieve it if you haven't encoded it and delivered it in a way that they can so the two actually marry up and go hand in hand and i think I mean, there was, there was a post on Twitter the other day about things becoming a fad and people jumping on a bandwagon. And actually, something like retrieval practice, it, it, it does have the kind of scope that it could be something that people adopt, not really understanding why they're doing it, just doing a tick box exercise at the beginning of the last children, we're doing this, and not really using it properly. So I think it's important that when you do take on board something like this and when a school does approach it. It, it i think it does need training and it does need cpd and it's not something where you can just say to a teacher yeah. right we're going to do four questions what you did last year what you did last week and let them get on with it it needs to have someone who knows what they're doing talking about it so that's one of the things that i mean i spoke about it at research brum um to primary school teachers last year and it was really useful because like the primary school teachers were, were like me sitting there thinking this is something seen in secondary but how do we actually do it and having someone who's trialing and showing you that and um yeah so i'm doing um um primary essentials so that's one of the talks that i'm really passionate about that i'll be delivering to teachers so it, it needs someone who knows what they're talking about to be able to to i mean it doesn't have to be someone who's massively knows about cognitive science but someone who's got an understanding of the research behind why yeah. do you know what i mean so yeah that 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 for me is really important that it doesn't just become a tick box that mm. we adapt into our curriculum because we've seen it as a buzzword and we think it might be something that we can shoehorn in absolutely couldn't agree with you more on that so in terms of you know you've shared so many things there and we'll need to move on to the, the third of your primary three in a moment but in terms of you know if listeners want to get in touch with you i'm sure uh, about you know your ideas behind retrieval practice i'm sure you'd be more willing to, to kind of point them in the right direction and you think yeah. Yes, definitely. And there's so, there's so many great books. Kate Jones' book is is one of the ones that I read that is just fabulous. Um, I mean, she's got a new one out, which I need to get that I don't want to have a look at. But she she was one of the books that I read that just, I thought, this is great. I can use this in primary. So she would be a point of call to, to look at and follow on Twitter most definitely because she's like the queen of retrieval, quite frankly. Fantastic. Is that Kate Jones you just said? Yes. Excellent. 
Right, thank you very much. Let's move on to your third of the primary three. Um, you know, the third thing that you think is really important and that you're passionate about in primary education, uh, and that is embedding the arts within topic and literacy lessons to improve engagement and outcome. I mean, to be fair, I think from the discussions we've had, we've seen that coming through already. I was going to say, you probably probably what I'm going to say here has probably sort of come out through everything um, that I've talked about. So even in with retrieval practice, you've got the arts there because you've got yeah. music and drama and drawing. So it, I just think I just think the arts are just so glorious for like uh, allowing children to feel relaxed, allowing children to feel comfortable, because I'm a big believer if you're not feeling safe, relaxed and calm, you're in no place, no learning environment. And you've got children who might be coming into your classroom with their bucket completely full because of what's gone on outside of school. And actually, if you're sitting there trying to get them to do convert improper fractions to mixed number fractions, you, you've got no chance. So actually, you need to think about the bigger picture and how we can use the arts to, to ensure these children are able to be in the right mindset and the right learning place. And they also make, I know fun's that word that people don't like to use. And there's the big, you can't use fun. Yeah. Knowledge enough is is fun. I'm a big believer. Yeah, I love knowledge and I, I learning new things is fun and, and that is, but also fun for the sake of fun, doing, doing things and, and, and enjoying things. And the arts are just brilliant for that. And my big thing is within writing, I absolutely love using art to generate um, excellent writing outcomes. And I mean, I've got a blog about it on my, if you look on my teacher Twitter, there's a, a blog I did ages ago about using the arts to improve presentation. And I think I did a line, um, why would you um, spend ages put your mascara on and smear your lips it? Because actually, if you've got a really great piece of artwork, why would you then go on to, do a really poor piece of writing that ruins what you've done before because you've done this really amazing piece of artwork so you want your writing to match the quality of what you've done there so um yeah I, I use it all the time and and this is where you get the skills that you've taught in watercolors perhaps in art thinking back to the retrieval they're having to retrieve what you taught them in an art lesson within a literacy lesson how bonkers is that because they're having because I did like drawing a, a dragon head so they did this anatomy of the dragon head they watercolored it and then they did their writing around it and the, the three married together. And because they were so excited, oh, we're doing art in literacy. It made them really excited and want to learn and, and feel inspired. And I think that's what all of us want to do is feel inspired in the in in what we're doing. And when children are inspired, the outcomes are so much higher. Definitely. I think you're right in that the word fun has almost become a bit blacklisted, I think. That, it has, you know, hasn't it? it? <laughs> it's, uh, the lesson should be engaging is the word, not fun. And it's like, well, and I, I completely understand where they're coming from in the sense that you don't teach a lesson because it's fun. You're like, that's not, if the if the objective is for it to be fun, then, then it may, maybe needs to be reconsidered. But yeah, definitely. You, you can have fun whilst, you know, meaningfully learning. And, and yes, it will be more memorable because it's more fun. But as long as it's based in that, that key understanding and that key knowledge that needs to be given and embedded for that child, then definitely. of course you know have a bit of fun with it as well i think that's you know that's the important message on that definitely i think that 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 is the fundamentals is actually it's not doing a doing activity it's it's knowing that this is the knowledge i want them to know at the end of this session and if they're turning around to you and you say to them for example i i do a dragon lesson where we want to discover the diet of the dragon so ultimately i want them to be able to have information about what our dragon has has, has eaten vocab through that vocab through diet but if at the end of the lesson they're telling me 
oh what have you done today we've made we've looked at poo i know i've got that massively wrong Mm. i know the fundamental knowledge that needs to come out of that so you have to be very clear Mm. that what you're doing isn't distracting from actually the key concept that you want the children to come away with yeah absolutely um but yeah and i think it give it just makes the learning far more accessible obviously i mean i i have kids in my class who who love learning and if i tell them that we're going to do art in in that literacy they might actually be a bit switched off because they don't like art so much but i think Mm -hmm. like you say getting that that broad approach and variety of doing it and teaching those concepts say in literacy well you you mentioned literacy and topics specifically you know some of my kids would rather just do the literacy side of things and not include any uh, you know other art side of things but i think like i think that balance is key you know it's not just it's not just using art every single time it's not just having music there every single time it's having a broad and balanced broad and balanced is all the words that we use (laughs) it's the buzzword um and knowing your children and knowing what works for them so for example um like you say about children who might not like art you can get around things like that because you can provide them an image to use yeah and things like that so there are ways around children who won't put pen to paper so often i'll say well do you want me to draw the outline and then you can have the details inside so just knowing your class knowing your children and yeah and if what will work for one person might not work for another so i think that i think that's really crucial actually in in terms of everything within education is actually there isn't one rule that fits all and there might be a teacher who is absolutely terrified of art and the thought of doing that within their lesson might be horrendous to them so that wouldn't necessarily be something that would work for them and would work for their children because if you're not inspired and passionate about it the children are going to feed on that so you've got to play to your own strengths and you've got to play to what would work for you within your classroom within the arts definitely that's that's do you know those two some two really really important points i love the idea about you know if there's those kids and i can see them in my head now who would just shudder at the thought of bringing the art into another subject they 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 deal enough with art you know in one lesson as it is but actually you know we we think about how we adapt and um provide you know in in individual um support and scaffolding around learning in english and maths then why are we not thinking about that when we do art why not provide that image or provide that outline for them like you say so that they can then access that the skills you want them to do and create the output the outcome that you want them to, to be able to create but just with that scaffolded approach for them that's really good and i think well, go ahead. Go on. You're going to say something. I was going to say, well, a, a visual, uh, this is where a visualiser is. I think every classroom should have a visualiser because this is where it's so powerful. In lockdown, is, is it John Biddle draws? He did those draw-alongs. And yeah. actually, one of the things that I've done new, which I didn't used to do because of lockdown, because you're doing these home-known videos, is within your art lessons, I would often show them a pre-made waggle or perhaps do part of it with them. And being in lockdown, actually, doing a step-by-step follow along now with me it's it, it's so helpful for children who find it so for example right i'd like you to put a spot here this is where we're going to start our pencil let's all have our page at the same place right you're going to do a small line curve and using the vocab small line curving to the top here and actually it, using a visualizer and providing those really small little steps you get the most beautiful artwork out of children who turn around and go, I can't draw, I hate art. Mm, absolutely. And I liked, you know, I liked the, the kind of caveat you, you mentioned about teachers as well. I am one of those teachers that, 
you know, the thought of teaching art really sh- makes me shudder. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And it's something that I struggled with going up into high school and, you know, and how it was taught with me and, and kind of the um, the motivation and praise I got or didn't get <laughs> in high school around art. You know, it has an impact on me in that. But like you say, you know, you as a teacher know your strengths and you know your passions. And I think that you can still find creative ways to, to get arts more embedded into the curriculum without having to go and draw something yourself or do something like that. Well, this is where you rely on the skill sets of your colleagues in school. So, for example, I will hold my hands up. I am useless with technology. So I'm like sitting here thinking, am I doing the right things with this this computer right now? But my colleague, she's amazing with computing, but she's not as um, secure with art. So the way around we did that, we'd have an afternoon where the children would go to um, her for computing and then we'd swap classrooms and I'd have her class. So I teach mine art and she'd teach computing, we'd swap over. So in an afternoon, I'd be teaching the same lesson to two children, two different sets of um, classes because that worked really well as our skill set. Um, our, our, my year six, uh, five um, colleague, she did art at um, university, and she's an amazing artist. So she will often provide waggles for us and say, look, I've done this, and we're like, that's a million times better than we could do. So utilising the skill set of teachers in school it's, it's so important with things like this. Definitely. And, and if you if you work in a school, you know, where you are may, maybe the only year six teacher, for example, which might make, be a bit more difficult. You've, yes, then got, pe- be, yeah. you've got people on Twitter who, who've got great yeah. specialists in, in different areas that maybe you aren't as confident in that you can just get in touch with them and say, oh, do you know, you know, what, what could I do to make this go really well? And they'll yeah. be more willing to share that. And look at Oak Academy, music, for example, some of the music lessons, there's one like on body percussion. There's no way in a million years I'd be able to do all the, the, the things. And so you can utilise like these online free resources that were set up. And I still use the Oak Academy music within the session because that's not my specialism. So, yeah, there's there's a raft of things. And that's why like social media now is so great for teachers because we have so many different ways we can draw from and advice and, and get and get different things with, to, to improve our teaching. Excellent. Right. We are going, we are going to have to, to, to end it. I don't want to take too much of your time, but this, this has been absolutely brilliant. So, so informative and, and such great ideas. Last two questions for you, Edwin, and thank you for your time today. The first one is, uh, who would you recommend for a future podcast interview on primary education voices? Now, I thought that this one was quite instant for me because um, Tim Roach, I just think is inspiring in what he does in writing with his children and how he builds just from children who find writing extraordinarily difficult um, within his setting to how they're producing wonderful examples. So I think he would be amazing. And I've actually seen him speak about how he uses the writing revolution and does slow writing with his children. And he's just an inspiration. So I think he would be absolutely brilliant. So yeah, he he would be who I would recommend. There's absolutely loads of people, but he just popped into my head first. <laughs> of course, yeah. I think that's always the challenge is narrowing down the people that we know on Twitter or, or on other places as well that would be really good. But like you say, you know, thanks for sharing uh, with uh, sharing Tim and we'll definitely- Can I say too, can I do another one? Emma Stanley as well. Go there on. you go. I've, I've stuck it in. I've it. <laughs> that, was, that was sneaky. I I didn't see that. You're sneaky. I did it before you noticed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's great. We have actually had Emma be mentioned, not as a recommendation, but as a as someone whose resources another teacher has used. Sophie Sophie Bartley mentioned her. Uh, in her uh, podcast interview and so that that's great thanks for recommending it i'll uh, definitely get around to that one and so finally credwin uh, what for you is the best thing about being in primary education 
the best thing oh gosh so many things but if I should sum it up in a nugget is no two days are the same and you can go in feeling sad and you can come out with your heart full of joy it's just a joyful joyful job and get your right school and you're set for life you really are we are very blessed to be able to have this job and have this impact on children so yeah it's just a glorious job what a wonderful answer to finish on that's fantastic and i think what you just said there has really come through your answers and so thank you so much and thank you very much for your time and for joining us on primary education voices Claire edwin and thank you for uh, inviting me i hope my answers made sense <laughs> they, were, they were brilliant thanks again you know primary education voices never ceases to amaze me um you know i there's when i think that i've learned so much and there's not much more i can dive into and learn more from these uh, these interviews another person comes along and shares their passions about primary education and completely blow me away um Kar edwin was a, an absolute joy to speak to today uh, she was so passionate about the things that she does um, she has taught from early years right through to the upper key stage two as well has had a wide experience on that found herself going into primary education a bit later on after trying to make a difference in one sector and realizing that she can make a huge difference in the lives of children uh, and in the lives of many people uh, in the primary education sector and so you know that was wonderful a very funny story that she shared as well uh, but then of course her primary three were were absolutely inspiring i thought um, her love of books came through, obviously, but specifically using picture books to teach difficult and, and deep concepts about, um, you know, personal and social health education was really important uh, and something which I've seen a little bit more as we've come out of this lockdown period as well that can really have a powerful impact in the classroom. She says she shared some great resources and uh, I did try afterwards uh, googling uh, what she said if you if you google kerry eccles that's c-e-r-i-e-c-c-l-e-s before you're finished typing kerry eccles tez comes up on the recommended searches right at the top and so clearly kerry's uh, resources are well used um, in the wider world of teaching as well and so i strongly recommend if you haven't already have a look and uh, i don't know bookmark her, her profile or subscribe to her profile if you can do that on tez uh, i'm not 100 sure if you can but basically go there as soon as you can and see what great resources she has to share because Kerr edwin sounds like someone who will really share anything she uses in the classroom that has worked well and it's all backed up by by evidence research as well which is what she talked about with her retrieval practice discussion as well i loved this discussion uh, retrieval practice is something which i've been looking at in the past year and a half as well uh, and i've been trying to implement into my classroom practice it's something which i i feel like i've embedded well into maths but i was really interested to see how Caredwin uh, does it in english as well and into the wider curriculum uh, and she didn't disappoint on that uh, talking about how you can do a flashback for or low states quizzing or testing not just in maths and in english but in the wider subject area as well um, obviously in reading and vocab is important but in art and in drama you know and science all these ways that we can use retrieval practice and, and in different ways as well making it varied and not just the same way every time i think was a really important um, principle there um, you know, it's it's something which has been shown by research to have a real impact. Looking at what the children children learned in the last lesson, in the last week, in the last term, and in the last year, and really just revisiting those concepts is something that will really help them remember and learn, embed that learning more uh, as they move forward. And so, 
That was a great discussion. And then, of course, talking about the arts and how they can be embedded into literacy and topic to make the learning. And she used the word fun. And I, I love that little chat we had about the word fun and how, you know, when you look at some discussions on Twitter, that the, the word fun seems to be a, a bit of a no word uh, in education right now. It's got to be engaging and evidence informed. And all these things are possible. But also it is possible to have a bit of fun. Uh, within that learning as well and I think you know Caredwin really got me to think more about that and I think that as long as the as we said the the objectives and the knowledge is the key focus of the lesson how we deliver that lesson can be in in, a, in an engaging and dare I say it fun way as well uh, and that can be done through using the arts but of course those ch there are those children in the classroom who do not find the arts fun uh, but as Caredwin said we can find ways to make um, that support there for them so they can still take part in it and enjoy it as well and of course be varied in the way that we uh, that we deliver that as well just so many things there that Edwin spoke about I've picked out a few there just to kind of really focus on but you know this is this is an episode which you might want to listen back to and pick out some of those ideas from as as with all the other episodes that we've had so far as well so many great concepts so many great things shared and great resources and I hope that they are, are of use to you all that's left for me to say is that if there's a primary colleague on the Twitter sphere that you'd love to hear more from, you can either contact me on Twitter through at Prime Edu Voices, that's P-R-I-M-E-D-U Voices, or me personally at mroberts90matt, and let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA, support staff, leader, anyone within that primary sector that you'd love to hear featured on a future episode. Please do subscribe to the podcast and do share it with some of your fellow primary practitioners, either you know, in-person primary practitioners or on Twitter. We'd love, it'd be amazing if you could share this podcast out and leave a review on your podcasting platform. That'll help get the word out and raise the primary education voice. Thank you once again for joining me for another primary education voice and see you again next time on where, where we will meet another inspirational educator.